Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. In hand and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 6 through 7 in just a moment. We're continuing our series this morning, Refined. And the title of our message today is Let the Fire of Trial Change You. Let the Fire of Trial Change You. A Christian author was uh, sharing how one day she was cleaning her oven. And she wrote, how do you get this oven clean? I'd been scrubbing and scrubbing and it just wasn't getting clean. She said, as I was debating about giving up and heading to the store to look for a different type of cleaning product, my husband walked in and looked at the oven and asked, honey, what's this self-cleaning option? <laughs> She said, I hadn't even noticed that button before, but it sure sounded good at the moment. So she said, I switched it on and then watched in amazement as the oven heated itself to its hottest temperatures and burned all of the spilled over food and grime right off of the surfaces. All that remained when it was done were some ashes in the bottom that I could just easily wipe away. You know, in similar fashion, we can try and try the self-cleaning method of making ourselves right before God but we're gonna wear ourselves out because there's no way that we can make ourselves righteous and holy in the sight of God, amen? There's no way that we in our own strength can change those stubborn, sinful habits of the flesh that don't seem to budge despite our best efforts. Have you ever tried to change one of those habits? Amen, it's not easy. But God has established not so much a self-cleaning feature, but a God-cleaning feature, and Peter describes it in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. Read it with me, if you will. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You know, in our last two messages, amen, in our last two messages, we have seen that every trial in our life has a purpose, amen? Every test is important, it has significance. Our true character and the authenticity of our faith is proven amidst the fire of trial. And our character and our faith, when it is tested, it is perfected, it is proven through the fire. The fire of trials or suffering changes us. But, what, but how it changes us in a great degree has to do with our response. Because the fire of trial can either make us bitter or it can make us better. And it has to do with the lens through which we view our suffering and how we respond to it. And we need to begin with a biblical perspective of suffering so that it doesn't surprise us when it happens and we don't respond in a, uh, in a fleshly manner. The first thing I want us to see is that if not for sin, we would not experience suffering. 
If not for sin, we would not experience suffering. Suffering, folks, is a part of our sin-fallen state. It was never God's intention for us. Suffering is something that everyone experiences on a daily basis. Everyone. Christian and non-Christian alike, everybody experiences suffering. And we often don't understand and we question why. Why all the suffering in the world? Have you ever thought that? Why all the suffering that's happening as, as a result of the war in the Middle East? Why all the suffering of children being abused and hurt? Why all the suffering that I or you have to go through? Amen? But the ultimate cause of suffering is that we are sinful beings living in a sin-fallen world. When God originally created the world, it was perfect. Everything was good. In fact, he said it was very good. There was no sin. There was no suffering. There was no sickness. There was no heartache. Sickness, difficulty, suffering, and death all came as a result of what? Sin. Adam and Eve's sin. Their rebellion caused sin to enter God's perfect world, and it caused a separation between God and man. Now, God is the source of life. God is the source of everything good. God is the source of health. God is the source of blessing. God is the source of joy. God is the source of peace. But sin separates us from God. That's why when you're in sin, you don't have peace. It's why when you're in sin, you don't really have joy. You may have moments of happiness, but you don't have lasting joy. The things of this world can't satisfy you. You see, sin separates us from God and his goodness, separates us from the blessings of God in our life. And man's rebellion against God also did something else by default. What did it do? It gave dominion to Satan. Because I want to, I want to emphasize something here today. There is no neutral ground. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. And you can't ride the fence. You are either in the kingdom of darkness or you are in the kingdom of God if you have received Jesus Christ and are living for him by faith. But there's no neutral ground. And so when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they rejected the authority, the rule of God, the kingdom of God over their life. And what did they do by default? They submitted themselves because what they believed the temptation, they received the temptation of the enemy. And so they submitted themselves to the rule or dominion of Satan. It's either or, there is no in between. And as Jesus says, Satan, he has a purpose. He comes to steal. What's he stealing? He's robbing all of the good things, all of the blessings that God wants for our life. He comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and that abundantly. You see, Satan's way, the way of sin, leads only to suffering and destruction. And he is so deceptive that when people suffer, you don't normally say, why is Satan doing this to me? What do we normally say? Why is God? 
But Satan's a liar, and we fall under his deception. The world is under his deception. That's why the world blames God anytime they suffer or they see pain in the world. It's the lie of the enemy because he's the source of suffering. But he wants you to blame God to further separate you from the Father. But that's the reason that Jesus came. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Folks, no one means you. It means me. Amen? We were all separated from God because of our sin. Only Jesus was sinless. And that's why only Jesus could give his life as a sacrifice for our sins, suffering the penalty of sin that we deserved. And if we repent of our sins and believe and receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord, what does the Bible say? We are forgiven and we are restored to a right relationship with God. And the restoration of our relationship with God begins the process of restoring our life to what God originally intended it to be. We were created in his image, but his image was disfigured. It was marred by sin. But the moment we get saved, he begins working in us to restore his image in us. That's the purpose of the refining process, the purpose of the fiery trials that he sometimes allows us to endure. So suffering is a reminder that we are still living in a sinful world and that there are still areas of sin in our lives that need to be purified. Amen? I know this is not a hallelujah, praise the Lord, preach it, Pastor Maria sermon, but you know what? It's truth. So hallelujah, preach it, Pastor Maria, it's truth. Amen. I know it's hard to get excited over suffering and fiery trials. Amen. <laughs> but it is the truth of God's word. Amen. Suffering is an essential work of God's grace in our salvation. Because as we said, we live in a sin-fallen world Everyone suffers. Because we live in a sin-fallen world, everyone suffers. Whether you're lost and headed to hell or you are saved and serving Jesus for years, because we live in a sin-fallen world, we will experience suffering. But the difference is that for the saved, God not only redeems our souls from sin, he redeems our suffering. And he turns it into something for our good and for our blessing. God uses our difficult circumstances and pains of life to bring about his good will in our life, to purify us of sin, and to perfect our character that we might be more like Jesus. Our loving Father knows exactly what type of trial and the length of trial that is essential to enable us to grow spiritually and to strengthen our faith. Now, I know if I'm anything like you, there are times where I've said, God, isn't this enough suffering? Can we have a little break now? Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> but he knows what he's doing, and we need to trust the master's hand. I love something that... Uh, uh, 
pastor and a well-known gospel singer from many years ago named John McDuff wrote on this passage, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. He says, you may presently be pain-stricken and woe-worn. There is a divine necessity for your present fiery trial. No drop in the bucket of suffering can be spared. When we are assured that nothing which is appointed by our Father can come to us wrongly, he says, our cup of suffering becomes a cup of his love. I didn't think you heard me there for a minute, amen? <laughs> yes, when we are assured that nothing which is appointed by our Father can come to us wrongly, our cup of suffering becomes his cup of love, amen? Thomas Watson writes it this way. He says, no vessel can be made of gold without fire. So it is impossible that we can be made vessels of honor for God unless we are melted and refined in the furnace of affliction. Folks, trials are for our benefit even though we at times despise them. Amen? They're never enjoyable and most everybody who goes through them hates them. But the Bible tells us that we can rejoice in trials because we understand what God is doing in our lives through that trial. And if we know God, we know that he is a good God. We know that he is merciful, that he is loving, and that he desires what is best for us. I'll never forget my college professor, Dr. Sharp. He had a, a doctorate in psychology. He was a Christian counselor as well as pastor and, and Bible college professor. <clears throat> but he, he told us a story, and it was regarding uh, suffering and how to help people through suffering and counseling. And he told us a story of when his young son went into the kitchen. And, you know, kids can get into something in a second. You have to have eyes not only in the back of your head, but on every side of your head because <laughs> they can get into something in a second. So his young son went into the kitchen, got a hold of a sharp knife, and sliced his hand here to where the thumb was just hanging. And Dr. Sharp heard a blood-curdling scream, went running in to see his young son with the thumb hanging and blood pouring out, and he just wrapped a blanket around him, scooped him up. They lived in a somewhat rural area where they couldn't get fast uh, EMT service, so he threw him in the car, drove him to a nearby clinic, and took him in. And when uh, the doctor came in, the doctor said, we're gonna have to give him stitches but your son is allergic to the anesthesia. So we're gonna have to do this without anesthesia. He said, so he said to Dr. Sharp, he said, you're gonna have to hold him firmly because if not, he's gonna squirm and it's gonna cause problems. So Dr. Sharp took his son and held him as tightly as he could and the doctor started to take the needle to sew up his hand, and his son started to scream and say, Daddy, Daddy, no, let me go, Daddy. And Dr. Sharp said, it broke my heart, but I had to hold him there because I knew that even though it was painful, it was for his good. And sometimes, you know, I think the heart of God breaks for us when we're going through suffering and we're crying out saying, Daddy, no. Daddy, get me out of this. But God says, 
I got to let you go through it just a little while longer, child, because this is for your good. This is for your good. You see, God redeems our suffering with divine purpose, giving significance to every pain we endure, to every sorrow, to every trial that we experience. And that gives us hope in the midst of suffering. Folks, I could stand up here, as some do, and I could preach you a pie-in-the-sky gospel that says when you accept Jesus, everything in your life is going to come up roses. But you know what? If I preach that to you, you go out from here, and reality is going to hit you in the face. And then you're going to say, you know what? The Bible is a lie. Because I heard my preacher say that, you know, if I accept Jesus, everything is going to go well in my life. But that's not what the Bible says. And it's not how life is. So we need to know when suffering comes. What does the Bible say? How should I view my suffering? And how should I respond to it? Amen. Suffering is not an elective in God's school of faith. Let that sink in for a moment. You can't opt out of it. Amen. Yes. And she's a college professor, so it's required. Suffering is required. Why? Because it draws us closer to God. Everyone experiences suffering, and we can either blame God for our pain and pull away from him, or we can draw closer to him because of our pain. We draw closer to God when instead of questioning God, we turn to him in faith and we hold on to him and we say, Lord, this hurts and I can't make it through without you. Amen. And like Paul, who repeatedly cried out to God because of the suffering of a thorn in the flesh, he said the source of his suffering was the enemy, but that the suffering was also a gift from God. Isn't that amazing? He said, you know what, the enemy sent this, but I'm trusting that it is a gift from God because he's going to use it for my good. So he was crying out to God, and he was saying, deliver me from this thorn in the flesh. And it's nothing wrong when you're going through suffering. I'm not saying don't pray for God to deliver you. But while you're waiting on that deliverance, cling to him in faith. And that's what Paul did as he cried out to God. And God came to Paul, and he, he in effect, told him, not now. I'm not going to deliver you from your suffering now. But my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to give you everything you need to get through it. And in your weakness, my strength will be made perfect. Amen. And folks, let me tell you something. It is in suffering that we discover the sufficiency of God's grace. We discover that, you know what? I can go through anything as long as I've got God with me. Amen. When we cling to him in faith in the midst of the storm, we find out that he is more than enough. He is more than enough for us. We come to know his love. We come to know his grace. We come to know his presence. We come to know his power in ways that we have never known before. And like someone said, affliction leads us to a deeper affection for God. Affliction leads us to a deeper affection for God. Affliction teaches us the difference between what is important and what is insignificant. Because, you know, uh, when we're going through life and things are good, we're holding on to all sorts of stuff and say, I got to have this to be happy. 
But when you're going through the trial, say, you know what? None of that matters. God, I got to have you. That's what matters. Amen. So suffering loosens our grip on the things of this world and tightens our grip on God when we respond in faith. One preacher said, if this life were easy, we'd just love it too much. If we didn't experience the pain of living in this world, we would never let go of this world. 1 John 2.15 warns, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And so you know what? Suffering sanctifies our affections. It causes us to lose our affection for the things of this world because we realize none of that matters. And it causes us to deepen our affection for God. It turns our heart away from the love of this world and deepens our dependency on and love for God when we choose to respond to suffering in faith. Another reason that suffering is a required course in God's school of faith is because suffering builds character. In Romans 5.3, Paul tells us that when we place our faith in Christ, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces what? Character. When we endure, not when we give up and throw the towel in because things got hard, but when we endure, when we press through in faith, when we remain faithful and continue to trust God in the midst of our suffering, it changes us. It produces Christ-like character in us. One author writes, one of the ways suffering builds character is because it can change who we are in ways that we never imagined. And it will change us for the better if we respond in faith and trust God to have his way in our lives. As we endure suffering, we learn to love God for who he is rather than for what he gives. That was the whole conflict back in the book of Job, right? Satan came to God and said, the only reason Job serves you is because of all the stuff you've given him. You've blessed his life. But you take that away and you see how quick he curses you because you're not worthy to be worshipped for who you are, God. You're only worthy to be worshipped for what you give. That was Satan's accusation. But folks, when we endure suffering and we cling to God, we find he's all we need and we learn to love him for who he is rather than for what he gives. And, and as I said, that point is so clearly illustrated in Job's suffering. Suffering can humble us as we are made very aware of our weakness, our limitations, our lack of control, and we realize we have no control in this life. And we need to trust God, amen? We need to trust God. We become desperate for God. Suffering can make us more compassionate to the pain and suffering of others, which before we might have been indifferent to. Or sometimes we are so self-centered that we don't pay attention to the suffering of others. But somehow when we go through suffering, it makes our heart tender to people who are going through similar circumstances. Suffering also produces patient endurance as we wait upon the Lord. Because we're praying, right? We're praying, God help me, God deliver me, God heal me. But yet we're going through this period of time where we're waiting on the Lord. So what does it do? It produces patient endurance on us because we have no control over the timetable. All we can do is trust God. Suffering produces faithfulness 
as we focus on God and his promises to get us through. One preacher said, through times of pain and suffering, we are changed into who God wants us to be. How many of you want to be who God wants you to be? Amen. About half of you. Hallelujah. Let me ask that one more time. How many of you want to be who God wants you to be? Amen. Better response. Praise the Lord. Well, that just means we're going to have to go through the fiery furnace. Amen. Because that's the only path to becoming who God wants us to be. Of course, again, we reiterate that it's not God who causes our suffering, but God will use it for his purpose, and he will give meaning to the trials of our life when we trust in him. But suffering changes us in ways that nothing else can, and it changes us for the better when we choose to respond by trusting and seeking God. So as Paul encourages us to do, we can rejoice in suffering because we are confident that God is using our trials to produce in us what we cannot produce in ourselves. A third reason that the fiery furnace is a requirement in God's school of faith is because suffering strengthens our faith. One minister said, pain will either cripple us or it'll strengthen us. As Paul writes in Romans 5, 3, suffering produces endurance. The Greek word translated as endurance is derived from the prefix hypo, and, and which means under, and the verb moneo, which means abide. So it speaks of abiding under. So you're under trial, you're under difficulty, but you continue to abide in the Lord. You remain in faith, amen? And it depicts a strengthening that is derived from bearing a heavy weight, on your shoulders for an extended period of time. One writer describes it as the biblical version of the athletic statement, no pain, no gain, amen? As we hold fast to our faith, as we cling to the Lord under the weight of trial, we are strengthened. Our faith is strengthened. Christian author and theologian John Piper writes, strange as it may seem, one of the primary purposes of being shaken by suffering is to make our faith unshakable. So we are shaken by suffering to make our faith unshakable. He says, faith is like muscle tissue. If you stress it to the limit, it gets stronger, not weaker. When your faith is threatened and tested and stretched to the breaking point, the result is a greater capacity to endure. The Bible calls it steadfastness. So suffering produces perseverance, a faith that is able to abide under trial. A faith that doesn't throw in the towel because God didn't work the way we expected him to. But a faith that trusts and says, God, I know you are with me in the fire. I know there's a purpose, there's a reason, and I'm going to trust you that you're going to work and you're going to bring me out of this. Amen? That's faith that endures. Paul sheds light on how this takes place in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. He th says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Because sometimes we feel that way. We feel, I just can't take anymore. You ever been there? Paul experienced that. He said, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. Does that sound like some of us, what we feel like sometimes when trials are coming in on every side? Amen. You know, sometimes we read the scripture and we think that the people who wrote it don't know anything about what we're going through. But Paul's been where you, where you are or where you have been. Amen. 
But he goes on and he says in verse 9, in fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, oftentimes the weight of our trials can just press in on us and feel like they're crushing us and we feel overwhelmed and we think there's no way out. I'm not going to get through this one. And that's how Paul and his ministry team felt. But the result of their faith being tested to the limit, that, that was faith being tested to the limit, right? They said, we, we were overwhelmed. We just didn't feel like we were going to get through it. We thought we were going to die. But as a result of their faith being tested to the limit, Paul says, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on only God who raises the dead. Because you know, folks, when things are going well in our life, we tend to give lip service to God, but we kind of like, God, you can sit in the back seat right now because I got this. Right? We pray, but we pray our little pat prayers, you know. Oh, God, thank you for your blessings in our life. God bless my mother. God bless my sister. God bless my, you know. We pray our prayers, but we go about our day, oftentimes not even really sincerely, deeply seeking God's guidance for that day or what he wants in our life. We're giving lip service to God, but he's in the backseat. But folks, when trial hits our life and we feel like we're being crushed, that's when we say, Jesus, take the wheel, like the song says. Amen? Because sometimes we just don't realize how much we need him. But suffering, suffering presses us to stop trusting in ourselves and rely on God. Suffering strips us of self-reliance. John Piper writes, God so values our wholehearted faith that he will graciously, if necessary, take away everything else in the world that we might be tempted to rely on, even life itself. His aim is that we grow deeper and stronger in our confidence that he himself will be all that we need. He wants us to be able to say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may feel, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's where God wants us to come to in our faith, amen? That God, you're all I want and you're all I need, amen? As I close, I wanna share uh, from an article titled Suffering Will Always Change You, written by Vanitha Randall Reisner. And she shares her own personal experience of having suffered a miscarriage and how she felt as a Christian who had faithfully served the Lord for years. And she felt, why is this happening to me, God? This should not happen to me. I have faithfully served you. Then after the loss of her child, she endured a marriage crisis that she said almost destroyed her. And just as she began healing from that, then her infant son died unexpectedly. So a miscarriage, a failing marriage, and a son that dies unexpectedly. And she says in her article, she said, I had somehow developed the mistaken idea that God promises those who serve him an easy life. So each time something else went wrong, she said she begged God to fix it, to take away the pain, to restore things the way that they were. But as things kept getting worse, she angrily stopped talking to God, questioning if he was listening anyhow because things were going from bad to worse. 
But she soon realized, like Peter, that there was nowhere else to go. Remember when the crowd walked away from Jesus because they didn't like what he said? And he turned to his disciples and he said, would you also leave me? And Peter said, to whom else would we go? Who else has the words of life but you? And so she said she realized there was nowhere else to go except to Jesus because he alone had the words of life. And she writes this. She said, I cried out asking God to help me to trust him. So before she was crying out to ask God to change her circumstances, to make things the way that, but now she says, I cried out asking God to help me to trust him, to reconnect with him, and to find hope in what seemed like impenetrable darkness. She said, I needed peace, and I couldn't find it anywhere besides Christ. It was then, she said, that my faith radically changed. I found an inexplicable peace and hope that I had never experienced before. My easy, trouble-free life had not yielded anything but an enjoyment of the present. But suffering was producing something unshakable in me. She writes, suffering is a catalyst that forces us to move in one direction or another. No one comes through suffering unchanged. Suffering always changes us. But how it changes us depends on our response because it can either make us bitter or it can make, make us better if we'll trust in the Lord. So I ask you, do we view suffering through the truth of the Bible, not through the mistaken assumption that if we come to Christ, he has promised us a trouble-free life? Do we mistakenly believe that if we accept Jesus, it exempts us from trial and difficulty. When the Bible promises not an exemption from suffering, but it promises us the presence of God in our suffering. It promises us that he will work in all things, including our suffering, for our good, to purify our character, to deepen our love for him, and to strengthen our faith. And when we experience trouble, how will we respond? Will we choose to trust God? Not just to trust him to do what we want him to do, to fix our circumstances and take, us, uh, take away the pain. But will we trust him by surrendering ourselves into his loving hands and say, Lord, do whatever you desire to do through this trial. I give myself to you. Have your way in me. How will we respond? The first step to enduring and going through trial is to come to Christ in faith, to repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus. Because sin separates us from God. It separates us from his presence, from his help, from his blessing from his peace, from his joy, and from everything good that he desires to do in our life. And the whole reason that Jesus came was to take our sins to the cross so that we wouldn't have to bear them. And so through believing in Christ and repenting of our sins, we can be forgiven. We can be brought back into right relationship with God, and we can now walk 
in the grace, in the favor of God in our life. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today and you would say, pray for me, pastor, I want to come to Jesus or I want to come back to Jesus. I want to be forgiven. I want to have a right relationship with God and I want to be able to walk in his grace the grace that will be sufficient for me in all of my trials. If that's you this morning and you would say, pray for me, pastor, I want to come to Jesus or I want to come back to Jesus, would you just slip your hand up and you can put it right back down. Pray for me, pastor. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for another hand. Is there anyone else? Amen. Thank you for another hand in the back there. Praise the Lord. Is there anyone else? Thank you for another hand over here. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Just give a moment for anybody else. All right, thank you for all of those that raised your hand. I'm gonna lead us in a simple prayer right now. And for those of you who raised your hand, I'm gonna ask you to pray this prayer from your heart. It's not my words, my words are not special. But it's your heart placing your faith in Jesus and repenting of your sins. And God is gonna answer you and meet you here today. Would you pray this prayer with me in church? Pray it along with those that are praying it for the first time today. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. And I believe that you love me so much that you died for my sins. Today, I repent. I turn away from my sinful life, and I turn to you in faith. I confess that I'm a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I invite you to come live inside of me and help me from this day forward to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise the Lord and congratulations. We congratulate you on making the best decision of your life and we welcome you to the family of God. I want to encourage you, that prayer is just the beginning. It's the beginning of a lifelong journey with God. It's not an end point. We want to help you move forward and grow in that journey with God. And the first thing we want to do to help you in that way is to send you free of charge a little booklet. But in order to do that, we need your email address. This booklet is going to help you understand the prayer you just prayed and the next steps to take to keep growing in the Lord. We want to send it to you free of charge, but we need your email address. So if you would text your email address to the number on the screen, then a little bit later today, we will forward that book to you. But once again, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. For those of us who have already accepted Jesus as our Savior, some of you may be in the fiery furnace today. All of us, if not now, will find ourselves at some time in the fire of trial. The question is, will you choose to trust God, not just to do what you want him to do to fix your situation, but will you surrender yourself into his loving hands to do in you whatever he desires to do through the pain of your suffering? And will you pray, Lord, I give myself to you. Have your way in me. So the altar call is this. If you are in the fiery furnace or you find yourself in the future in the fiery furnace, will you make a commitment to the Lord? God, I'm not going to pull away, but I'm going to pull towards you. I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to go deeper in faith in you. I'm going to trust you that you are going to work. Even if you don't take it, take it away from me, that you're going to work in it 
and you're going to bring me out better than I went through it. If that's your heart's desire to make that commitment today, would you stand to your feet and just make your way to this altar just for a moment as we stand in the presence of the Lord and make this commitment of faith to him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As you come, would you just talk to the Lord from your own heart? And make that commitment to the Lord God. If I'm in the fiery trial or when I go through the fiery trial, by your grace, help me to hold fast to you and not waver. Strengthen me. Deepen my relationship with you. You talk to the Lord from your heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all of these that are at this altar. I know some of them are in the fiery trial right now. And they may even feel like Paul when he said we were overwhelmed and we didn't feel like we would make it through. Father, I pray for those that are at that place right now that you would just embrace them in your love. Father, I pray that they would just feel your Holy Spirit strengthening them in their inner being, Lord God, giving them what they need to walk through this time of trial. Father, I pray for all of us as we stand before you today that we would keep our eyes fixed upon you and not upon our circumstances that we would realize that in this life, just like Jesus said, we will have tribulation, but that we can trust in you, Lord God. We can trust that you will be with us in the fire just like you were with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. We can trust that you will not leave us, that you will work in us, that you will strengthen us, that you will perfect us, and that you will take us deeper in our love for you as long as we hold fast to you in faith. Help us by your grace to cling to you and to cast off all reliance and self and depend wholly upon you that we may come through this fiery furnace like bright and shining gold to bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift To help support our ministry, you can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you, and we hope you will join us again.